Welcome once again into the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. My name is Max Bretos and we did it. Don't ask us how, but we did it. We've got through the group stages. Sad to see them go, but there is some relief because that was heavy lifting. Certainly when we had the four games in a day and then uh, the scoreboard watching, which we've ne I've never encountered that. I've watched every World Cup pretty much since 1986. Never seen anything like that. Partially because there's a big gap between the have and the have nots. Every game was competitive, right? Of the 16 games that we've seen over the last four days, they all really went down to the wire. Maybe not so much England-Wales, but this is you know, playing in Qatar. Maybe it's the, new, the world order's changed a bit, but uh, everything is uh, up for grabs. And I would say that this feels like, I know we look at the bracket. There's the bracket. Let's take a quick look. Isn't it, isn't it, everyone loves a bracket. Now, this bracket looks even better because the USA is in it. But Japan and Korea and Morocco and Australia and Senegal, it's, it's much different. Take a look at the 2018 bracket. If just pull it up. Pull it up on your internet and see how different it looks. This is a World Cup. And it's not just Brazil, France, and Argentina that can win it, or Portugal. I think there's like 10 teams that can possibly win this. If they get a good draw, there's going to be some weird quarterfinal matchups. And we'll see. We'll see. Man, what about a Japan-Korea quarterfinal matchup? Look, we, everything is... All these games are going to be contested, maybe to a lesser degree, Argentina-Australia, which we will preview in a, a little bit. But all these games are going to be very tightly contested. For the first time since the World Cup has expanded to 32 teams, no squad made it through the groups three wins out of three. No one got nine points. That's never happened in a 32-team World Cup. That is a reflection of what we have here at this edition in Qatar. We knew this World Cup was going to be flawed for a lot of reasons, and even some of the atmospheres aren't there, and I think we've gotten behind the fact that Qatar is the host and we have to abide by these, these situations and rules. But uh, co competition-wise, this is unprecedented. I, I compare it to the 2002 World Cup, but I think this one's moved ahead of 2002, and it's going to get even crazier, I believe. Before we move any forward, we do have, we're going to call this the USA-Netherlands countdown. Bright and early, 7 a.m. Pacific time, 10 a.m. on the East Coast, the USA-Netherlands. First game out of the traps of the knockouts. We are going to get a final countdown for that game, give you all the updated news, and then we will preview the other game on Saturday, and then we will recap what we saw on Friday. So I will be at Santa Monica Brew Works bright and early for a watch party. Come by if you're in the area, say hello. I know a lot of you are going to have a few drinks, which uh, is certainly encouraged. That's why we're at the Santa Monica Brew Works. And if you're going to do that, you need to set a foundation, right? So with that in mind, a reminder, we are presented by the fine folks at Farmer John. Farmer John, get the classic bacon, get the smokehouse bacon. We're in supermarkets, places like Target, you will find it. Get it with a nice base eggs, a nice carbohydrate, a piece of toast, uh, some hash browns, a little hot sauce. You are ready to go. Some sliced jalapenos, then you're ready. And then you can get a nap later, and then you can watch Australia, Argentina. Uh, you can't get your hands on the Farmer John bobblehead, though. It's me and the farmer. Maybe, maybe. Here are our social media handles. Uh, the social media traffic has been incredible. Uh, the tweets have been very well received. I have so much fun tweeting. We're getting our handle on TikTok. If you have any TikTok tips, 
holler at me right here so we can, uh, I'm, a, I'm an open book, so I would appreciate everything that you can provide and the Soccer OG World Cup Daily available in audio format on the Soccer OG World Cup Daily podcast where all podcasts are available. We're here on YouTube under my name, Max Pretos. Please like and subscribe. Let's get into it. So I gave you a more thorough preview yesterday. Check out yesterday's show if you really want to roll up your sleeves. Highly encourage it. It is full of information, but a lot has happened here ahead of the game Saturday. Here is the latest news. First for the Dutch. A flu outbreak has hit the Dutch camp. We don't know how serious it is, but we have heard it's affecting several players, including Frankie de Jong, who to me is the most important player for the Netherlands. If the U.S. can shut him down, the U.S. are going to win because they want him, the Dutch, him upright so he can pass balls to Gakpo, to Depay, to the wide areas, to Dumfries and Blind going up. So he is key. He may not be feeling all that great. Obviously, they have great doctors. They're going to make these guys feel as good as possible. But the, you know, I just had a flu. You know, I had a flu last week I, and I hated doing these shows. It was hard work. You don't want to play when you're on that. Unless you're Michael Jordan and, you know, Byron Russell. Woo-hoo-hoo! Dated reference. That was the flu game. Allegedly, Michael Jordan had the flu. It looked like he had the flu. But maybe he didn't. Maybe he said he did. Maybe it was mind games. The key is don't pass that flu on to our American players because we might have a quarterfinal. But that quarterfinal is six days away. Six days after. It's unbelievable. If you can just get by this game, you have time to recuperate. You have time to get healthy. You have time to just get away from uh, the sport for a bit. Have a day off. I mean, this is, remember, it's been nonstop. This is four games in like 12 days for the U.S., Not that they're going to get any sympathy. Everyone else is in the same boat, but everyone needs a break. We mentioned good health. Some good news. Christian Pulisic has been cleared to play. He will be in that lineup. His durability has been a a breath of fresh air because we know, I I don't know, forgot the person who mentioned it, but it gave me grief. It didn't give me grief, but brought up the fact I brought in Glass Joe because I'll drop some dated references. But that's, I'm the soccer OG. You're getting wisdom here. Josh Sargent. Greg Verhalter said we will test him. Uh, he did join training, so he had his cleats on. He went out there. I don't know how hard he practiced. Uh, that information is very privy to very few. Uh, listening to Greg Verhalter talk about Josh Sargent, it sounded a little discouraging. And we certainly have been very healthy in this competition. We have a bunch of guys, as I said yesterday, I think five guys who are carrying a yellow you have to protect. But again, getting the flu, getting a second yellow, That is way down the list (laughs) on priorities. The priority is winning this game because if you don't win this game, you can sleep the flu off and you can eat your yellow cards uh, as far as everyone is concerned. Focus on this game. So Josh Sargent, it sounds really discouraging that he is going to get into this game, uh, maybe at a smaller degree. He looked good at the end of the Iran game. He was running around and uh, looked very healthy. Now, if he can't go, what do you do? So, obviously, Haji Wright's played some games. I just don't see him being the right choice here after he looked really lost against Iran. He didn't look terrible, as many people said, but he did look uh, like sometimes he went left when the play went right. So, the other option is Jesus Ferreira, and I'd put Jesus Ferreira ahead of Haji Wright in this situation. But... 
Here is the chance you have to mess with your opponent. Here is a chance to go up your sleeve and pull up an ace. That ace is Gio Reyna. Because of the back three, you can be a little creative. And remember, in the game against Iran, Josh Sargent played out wide a lot. He was just going to have space. So there wasn't really a true number nine. We don't need a number nine to score. Do not be surprised if Gio Reyna is in that 11. I have no intel. I have no intel. I'm just looking at this matchup. I'm looking. Josh Sargent's the number one choice. But maybe there's a way. Maybe Tim Weah tucks in a little bit. And Gio can... Remember, they've gone to a 4-4-2 a couple times. All the signs are there where Gio Reyna can come into this game. The Dutch aren't the fastest team. Now, you don't want to slow down if you're the United States. You want to go fast, fast, fast. That is an advantage. And Gio's not going to help you do that uh, much like a Josh Sargent would or a Jesus Ferreira would. But you can, you can concede a little bit there and still bring in this incredible playmaker. So I'm putting that out there. I'm sure others have thought about it. We've all talked about Gio Reyna, and I've never said put Gio Reyna in the lineup. You've heard me here. But this is different. There's an opportunity here. I'm getting myself excited. Uh, Michele Giannone had a report. I, I thought it was news. Uh, he works at Tudene. He says he, Berhalter, in his estimations, will not continue after this. I just don't know. That is, so that's not confirmed. Uh, he's usually, he probably has some information on that. He's usually right about those things. And it would make sense to move away. I would think if he makes a quarterfinal of the World Cup or even this stage, it'd be tough for him to walk away with John Herdman remaining. Uh, Suarez at Costa Rica is going to remain. We know Tata Martino's out. But, you know, managers hit second cycles all the time. So I would be a little surprised if uh, Burhalter left, but he could have closure. I mean, he wants to get back in the club game. Maybe that is that. Other stuff that we heard coming into this game. Uh, Louis Van Hal called the U.S. team very energetic, physically strong players that uh, is tough for any appointed. He also used the word fanatical, which I thought was really cool. Fanatical, crazy, all over the place, complicate things for you. Louis Van Hal saying that, uh, that kind of is the description of the U.S. historically. Energetic, physical, strong, uh, tough for any opponent. But this U.S. team is a little bit extra. And I know Van Hall says that and he didn't say that. He probably should have. He should have said technically gifted and tactically sound. Because that's the two things they have proven to be in this tournament. Louis Van Hall uh, obviously is scouting this team. And there's a comparison for the U.S. He played Ecuador. Ecuador tied the Netherlands. The Netherlands, by the way, the Netherlands like the U.S. have led every game. They've led every game. So early goal here will probably swing this game into one team or the other. No one's been trailing here. But the Netherlands led Ecuador. Ecuador tied it, and they were just running and running and running. And I think the U.S. are going to look to do something like that because the Netherlands looked very uncomfortable in that situation. Uh, Louis van Gaal knows that. and He knew his team uh, had those, those situations. Uh, Greg Berhalter and Louis van Gaal have a connection I was reading about. Uh, remember... Greg Berhalter is a player, played uh, in the Netherlands, and he said, I learned, he said, I learned so much in Holland. He was with Sparta Rotterdam in 1997, and one time while with Sparta, beat an Ajax team coached by Louis van Gaal. So he says, I think he remembers me, but he's not sure. 
Dutch knowledge of Dutch football. Dutch is very specific, as we pointed out. Uh, the culture and everything, the Dutch league, the Dutch national team, very specific to being in the Netherlands. So having experienced that for Greg Berhalter is another plus. Excellent stuff there for the United States. We also have, uh, I also wanted to share a quote I heard from Tim Ream. This was a taped on a Tom Rinaldi feature for Fox. Uh, just to let you know about the metal of this team and why they're so good. Tim Ream said, after they beat Iran, seeing Iran in tears in a strange way, that kind of hit me more than the excitement and elation. What a beautiful thing to say. That he was moved by their disappointment so much that he forgot about celebrating because he felt so bad. Having that empathy. Uh, this is a great group of guys. And they blow me away over and over again how they've gelled so quickly. Because remember Reem and Cameron Carter-Vickers who is uh, incorporated. Let's quickly flash that lineup by the way. I'm going to go. It's going to be Anthony Robinson, Reem, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Serginho Dest, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Yunus Musa. And they're up front. Christian Pulisic. We'll do this for fun. We'll put in uh, Tim Way in the middle and we'll put Gio Reyna out wide. There you go. There's your starting 11. But this is a great bunch of guys. And they've incorporated guys like Carter Vickers and Tim Ream and Josh Sargent and Haji Wright. And they just, they're, they're a great group. There's a lot going for this team. Uh, there's a positive energy that continues to emanate from them that it's going to bode them well. Christian Pulisic saying, I truly believe that we can play anybody and we can beat anybody. More good news uh, of this brotherhood that Eric Winaldo called this team. He says it was a brotherhood. He has been on national teams. He was there in 1994 and 1998. Eric Winaldo knows a tight unit when he sees it. That was an article I read in The Guardian. As for the U.S., this is the fifth time they have been in the round of 16. They've won one. They've lost three. 1994, lost to Brazil, one zero. Uh, we're outplayed. They were very competitive, though. 2002, beat Mexico 2-0. 2010, lost to Ghana 2-1. 2014, lost to Belgium 2-1 in the Tim Howard game. That was actually after extra time. So, actually, I don't know if that counts as a loss, but we're going to count it as a loss because it was a loss. There is uh, there's a lot of positives here for the United States. The update is there. There, Read them and weep. Uh, as I said yesterday, the U.S. are going to win this game 1-0. If they give up a goal early, it should complicate things, but they are deep. Hopefully, if Sargent's available, this is a team that can adapt. But the U.S. is going to win this game 1-0. All right, let's move on to uh, Argentina and Australia. Lionel Scaloni has been a big star here. He has Angel Di Maria to worry about. Not sure if he is going to be fit. Argentina is a massive favorite over the 38th-ranked team in the world, the Socceroos. Lionel Scaloni has been huge incorporating new players. At the beginning of the tournament, the attack was Messi, Lautaro Martinez, Papu Gomez, Leandro Paredes in the midfield, and Angel Di Maria. In the victory over Poland, Julian Alvarez came in for Lautaro, Alexis McAllister came in for Papu Gomez, and Enzo Fernandez came in for Leandro Paredes. That adapt adaption has changed Argentina's fate. He went young, and, you know, different guys have scored. Messi has two goals. One's a penalty. McAllister has a goal. Julian Alvarez has a goal. Enzo Fernandez. So all those guys he's brought in have scored goals. This is good coaching. He also brought in Huevo Marcos Ocuna at left back. So he's not afraid to make those tough decisions. Not everyone does do those. The question remains, who is Australia? 
Incredible story. This is the golden generation of Australia, which peaked in 2006, made the round of 16. We're tied with Italy, who would win that World Cup. Italy had a red card, but in the end got the goal to knock out the Aussies. Australia beat Peru in the playoff. That's a big win. Then they uh, beat Tunisia, and then they beat Denmark. Uh, they deserve to be here. So this group could outshine the golden generation, which is very exciting. And Graham Arnold, the coach, has pointed it out. They have an Aussie DNA. They will beat you if you let them. Uh, some transparency here. As a child, the age of five to the age of 12, I lived in Australia. And remember about Australia is soccer is way down the pecking order of sports. You have Australian rules, football, Aussie rules. You have rugby league. You have rugby union. You have cricket. I played rugby union. I played cricket. I played rugby league. Never barely touched the soccer ball when I was a kid. It was a long time ago. Uh, soccer is still looking up and they don't have the athletes because those great athletes are like in the United States play other sports. This could certainly change it if they're able to do it. I'm not underestimating these Aussies, man. I will not do it. They, uh, interesting quote, Milos Deganek, who play, is a defender for the Columbus crew in MLS. Uh, everything's about Lionel Messi, right? Everyone's playing for Lionel Messi. Uh, he said, I think they're obviously driven by the motivation that it could be his last World Cup. For us, it's about stopping that. Unfortunately, I'm a big fan of his, but I'd love to win the World Cup probably more than him. Uh, Messi, the, the, the danger here is Australia collapsing on Messi because as you've seen, all these other players, Alvarez, Fernandez, Lautaro, if he comes in, McAllister, they can all beat you. So he, they might, Argentina might set the bait with Messi and you've got to defend him, but you can't keep your eyes off the other guys. Two Saturday games and knockouts are here. We will be back on the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. We will look back at an incredible finish to the group stages. And I'll tell you where these group stages rank in the history of the World Cup. We are back. Let's rip through the final day of the group stages. And real quickly, just to let you know, these have been the best group stages I have ever seen. You can't take your eyes away. Even a game that we thought was meant nothing, that Brazil was going to win it. I will tell you this. When Cameroon scored that goal, it wasn't said on the Fox broadcast. I don't know what's going on with the tiebreakers uh, with the Fox folks. I don't know if they're ignoring it. Maybe they are. But with Cameroon scoring that goal, what it meant that if Cameroon scored another goal or if Switzerland scored a goal, the Swiss would have moved in front of the Brazilians for top spot in the group. And that would have meant that we would have had Brazil, Portugal in a round of 16 game. Instead, as we'll show you, let's show you the, uh, the bracket again. Instead, it will be Brazil and Korea. Portugal will take on uh, a very firm, a very good Switzerland team and I was looking at the odds that's almost a pick'em if you can believe that it's not a pick'em it's a slight edge for Portugal but I like that Swiss team because they've brought in some good young players and it's worked out starting group H the morning games again transparency You're, I'm living through myself here my mother-in-law as you said I married my wife's Korean family so I've adopted the Korean national team as my second team or third team uh, my mother wouldn't wake up. My mother-in-law wouldn't wake up. She lives with us uh, at 5 a.m. for those games. She woke up at 7. So we watched this game, and everyone was on the edge of the seat. And uh, when Huang Hee Chan scored in the 92nd minute, I had this great moment with my family. I, uh, the World Cup 
you know, I, I got to embrace my wife, which we always have to do. But in that kind of capacity where she's happy, my mother-in-law's happy, I'm going to get a really good Korean dinner tonight. That's what I'm getting at. I'm going to get a really good Korean dinner. And a little soju. Life's good for me. But that's what it's all about. And we're, I see the news in Koreatown. Everyone was jumping up and down. Uh, L.A. is an incredible city for a World Cup because uh, we have a big Korean population, a huge Mexican population, uh, a big Persian population as well. So you get to see it through a lot of lenses. And that's what the World Cup is all about. So uh, Portugal rested a bunch of guys, not Cristiano Ronaldo. Got an early goal from Ricardo Horta. And then it was an uphill battle, obviously, for uh, Portugal, uh, for South Korea that needed Uruguay to beat Ghana, but not by more than two goals. Then they started pushing forward, got some corner kicks, scored off a corner kick. It was offside. Another corner kick. This time it counted and Korea was able to tie things up. Kim Jong-won scoring the goal. He was one of the center backs. And while I'm talking about center backs, there was no Kim Min-jae who was Korea's most important player in this competition. Obviously succumbing to the injury that he's dealt with. By the way, he's a Manchester United target. That's, he's playing at Napoli. That's how well regarded he is. Korea, a really good second half team. Uh, so uh, Kwon Yong-won, who scored, the, would, Kwon Yong-won would join Kim Yong-won as the center back pairing. Uh, they did really well. There was a lot of Portuguese players that were rested, namely Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes unavailable. So they were a little shorthanded. And as I said, and one of the through lines here for this World Cup, nobody is as deep as we think. We saw that with France when they went to their backups, they lost to Tunisia. We saw that with Brazil, they went to their backups, they lost to Cameroon. Nobody is deep enough. You can't, you can't go down the pecking order or you will lose in this World Cup. Guaranteed. So we're watching this game and I'm watching uh, Song Hyung Min. And he, he's trying to play hero ball. He's putting his head down. He's dribbling at the Portuguese defenders. He would lose the ball over and over again. And I go, he, you can't take him out because it's Sun. Then eventually, uh, Huang Hee Chan comes into the game in the 66th minute. First time he's played in the, this World Cup. He's been injured. Talented forward, plays at Wolverhampton. Sun Young-min gets the ball facing goal, and he passes it. It goes through the legs of a Portuguese defender. Huang Hee Chan connects, scores the goal. South Korea are winning. And they had to wait to see what happened at the other game because there was so much stoppage time in the first half. It was really staggered, but they would get through. And one of the images I will always remember from this World Cup is Son Heung-min emotionally drawn on the floor uh, in tears to see his team come through. South Korea would finish second in this group uh, behind Portugal and ahead of Uruguay, who beat Ghana in... The Black Stars showed their youth here. They looked... Remember, this was a big game for Ghana, right? They got knocked out by Uruguay in uh, 2010. The handball for Luis Suarez. We talked about it yesterday. People wanted him to apologize. We don't apologize for stuff like that because it worked. So uh, Luis Suarez did start this game. So Ghana wanted to win this game at all costs. But more so, they wanted to advance to the next round. A tie would have probably done it. And in hindsight, it... I don't think it would have because of the way the goals came on. So uh, actually, withdraw that. It would have been enough for Ghana to get through if they tied this game. VAR, big factor in this game. So uh, they started with Darwin Nunez and Luis Suarez. 
And finally, Georgian de Arascaeta, who I've said here, had to be in the lineup. He came in, scored two goals. De Arascaeta should have been in there from the beginning. Uh, Luis Suarez, I know I've been critical of him. He had a nice game. He was involved in both goals, but he certainly has his limitations on how long he could go. Edison Cavani coming in late for him. People were upset that why Suarez wasn't there at the end. Suarez can't go 90 minutes. He can't. Let's be realistic here. So uh, a VAR decision, Sergio Rochette didn't look like he made contact uh, on the first penalty and it was awarded a penalty. Uh, Rochette would end up saving it. Two more penalties or lack thereof, all favoring Ghana. And that really fired up the Uruguayans. I feel bad for Uruguay. They were done in. This VAR implementation in this game was really poor. Uh, they, there's no way that they have, could have been on the hook on all three of them. Maybe two, not three. Probably one. A lot of good chances for uh, Uruguay who piled on the, the, the shots on target. There was Facundo Pelestri missed a really good chance. Uh, Pajarito Valverde had some good chances there, but they couldn't break through. One more goal. They were up two. One more goal would have put them through, and they weren't able to get it. End of the game. Uruguay upset. Go after the referee. Edison Cavani knocks over the tower that has the VAR monitor. Uh, very bad optics. Ghana then celebrates, which was weird. Uh, but they wanted, I mean, they got a reprieve in a way. They, able, they were able to knock out Uruguay. That's a really tough result. And it falls on Diego Alonso, who didn't have his foot on the pedal late. I thought Diego Alonso shouldn't have played, brought in such an uh, experienced team, over-experienced team. He did. I think he needed a little bit more exuberance in the attack. He didn't have it. Uruguay's out. Very disappointing. Only two South American teams make the knockouts. Asia has three. Two. Argentina, Brazil. No Ecuador, no Uruguay, no Peru, no Colombia, no Chile. Let's go to Group G, Cameroon and Brazil. Brazil making nine changes to the team uh, that had won their first two. Looked good. Had not faced a shot on goal in this tournament yet. Uh, they are going to uh, have a three-day rest before their knockout, so it was good to rest some guys. Neymar, still not ready to go. It doesn't seem like he's going to be ready for the Korea game either. Uh, we've seen that ankle. It was jacked up. But what we learned from Brazil, as I pointed out about other teams, with all those changes, you can't play those guys. Brazil needs Neymar. Uh, whether you bring up Lucas Paqueta or you bring in Rodrigo, Neymar's the better option. Brazil cannot rely on going too deep on their bench or they might find what happens against Cameroon. They lost this game. One zero. Quick thought about Pele, who's dealing with some serious health issues and our, our thoughts are with him. And uh, there were some beautiful banners and uh, some signs inside the stadium wishing Pele the very best. 39-year-old Danny Alves coming into this game, captain it. I don't know if this is a... Uh, Publicity stunt? But why is Danny Alves there? Why? Why do you get someone to play five World Cups, six World Cups? I understand he's a legend. There's people that I think you could have a better impact from and give a chance to play in a World Cup. He's 39. He shouldn't be there. This is Brazil. Dozens of good players. Why are you preventing that? I know he's a legend. Now, now I will eat my words if he helps inspire this team to great things, but there was no inspiration on this day. So uh, Brazil, 
a lesson learned, but now they'll have some rested players, certainly. Uh, and we'll see if they can keep going from strength to strength. This game was tied at late in the game. If Cameroon wanted to win, they would have had to score two goals at the very least. Um, v Vincent Abubakar would score for Cameroon in the 92nd minute and take his shirt off. And everyone was upset because it was second yellow. Uh, Ismail Elfath, the referee who is a ref in MLS, came over. He felt really bad. He goes, he's like, sorry, I have to give you a yellow and a red. Sent him off. So people are up in arms in that, about that. But I've got to tell you, first of all, if I had a body like Vincent Abubakar, I would take my shirt off all the time. Secondly, you just scored a game-winning goal against Brazil in stoppage time. Take your shirt off. Yeah, it's a red card. Take your shirt off. How could you, how could you not? I mean, Cameron, I guess technically they could have had a chance to get another goal. I don't think it would have been enough, to be honest, because the Swiss won. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So Cameroon uh, uh, do have an incredible famous win over Brazil. That will last. We can tell you, these moments are big. Uh, Davis Epasi, the Cameroon goalkeeper, I believe had eight, maybe nine saves. So he was very busy. Great effort for Cameroon. Great day for the African teams. They don't get more than two teams in the knockout. But Ghana and Cameroon certainly made things interesting on this day. More so Cameroon. Who, by the way, with the green jerseys, the red shorts, and the yellow socks, that is uniform nirvana. Beautiful. Final game, Serbia and Switzerland. I will never underestimate the Swiss again. I picked Serbia to make a semifinal. I will never pick Serbia again in these knockouts. This was an incredible game. 3-2 for the Swiss, who come out with a 4-2-3-1. Some changes there for both teams. For the first time, we got to see Alexander Mitrovic and Dusan Vlahojevic play together with Dusan Tadic right behind them. For Switzerland, Braille and Bolo still in there, but Manuel Akanji now would be partnered with Fabian Schaar, who plays at Newcastle. I mean, there's a lot of options for this Swiss team. Switzerland led one zip, goal by Jerdan Shakiri four years ago in this, uh, in this matchup. Uh, I was, I was meant to mention it to you yesterday, but I didn't. When these two teams who were in the same group played, their uh, Shaka, Granite Shaka and Sheridan Shakiri, who are both Albanians from, ethnic Albanians from Kosovo, gave the two-headed eagle sign after they scored, uh, created quite a uh, political incident. Um, being from Kosovo, even though they're Swiss, uh, there's a history, obviously, in wartime with Serbia and the occupation of Serbia, of Albania, and specifically Kosovo. I don't want to talk too much about it because I know I don't get the history right. But it was a very emotional fixture. There was no two-headed eagle this time around, which was the right move because there was fines involved. And uh, obviously, Sharkiri, who plays in MLS, wanted to be focused on getting through. And they did. Uh, Serbia falls asleep a lot defensively. I mean, there was big spaces. Great goal by Alexander Mitrovic, by the way, which made it 2-1. Remember, Serbia led Cameroon 3-1, and that game ended 3-3. So they led this game 2-1, and they lost it 3-2. Serbia, this is hugely disappointing, and there's something that they've got to work out because the talent is there, the young players are there. This just can't be going on the way it is. We also had the nicest goal of the tournament here, so check it out on Fox or Telemundo. Shakiri with a chip, Ruben Vargas with a little taquito, which is a back heel, into the path of Remo Freuler, who scored. Uh, proper football goal, my favorite goal of the tournament thus far. And there you go. 
Switzerland are into the round of 16, just like they were in 2018, just like they were in 2014. Uh, that is, I mean, back to back to back round of 16s. They made the quarterfinals in the European Championships. They beat France. This is a very good tournament team. And I'm telling you, I'm looking at the surprises. I think the Swiss might get the Portuguese. I think that might be one of the surprise results in the round of 16. But we'll get to all of that later. Enjoy the USA-Netherlands game. We don't know if this is the end of the ride, so squeeze it as much as you can. Get out with your friends and your family and enjoy it. Then come back here and watch the Soccer OG World Cup Daily or listen it to on podcast form where all podcasts are available. Let's go USA. We'll see you tomorrow.